politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight the communist vermin once again. To the one and only CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Back in the house for a brand new week of broadcast, September 13th. It is Monday. We got a daunting week ahead of us. We got a daunting life ahead of us if we want to live free again. Uh, It has been four days since Biden's uh, Fourth Reich speech. And I don't know. You tell me. Are we responding appropriately? How many Republicans do you hear are speaking with the degree of passion and specific policy solutions that the time calls for? How many are threatening to go their own way with the states? Now, as we're recording, the Florida governor is holding a press conference, so I cannot tell you what he's saying, but it did leak out to the media that he is going to call an emergency session of the legislature, so that would be good. We haven't seen that in any other state. Imagine if we had 20, 25 states, as I mentioned on Friday, calling for an emergency session. Now, we're going to talk about what I think they should be doing in those sessions and kind of setting the stage for where we are, where we are today. Where are we epidemiologically? Where are we with policy? And it's truly heartbreaking. It is why I cannot get off this issue. And I think most of you want me to continue covering it because literally everyone I know has the virus now. It's unbelievable. I mean, that is how it, it, this is the reality. Everyone, certainly if you didn't have prior infection, whether you had the vaccine or not, that is a fact. And we're going to go through that today. You are going to get it. The government knows this. We prepared for 18 months for this. We spent money on everything under the sun, yet they won't spend a fraction of the amount that they spent on remdesivir and the vaccines and the welfare and the free food and the free housing and the and the lockdowns and that destroying the supply chains on simple therapeutics, simple supplements that are getting scarcer and scarcer, not just the ivermectin, but even things like NAC, um, by the way, if you have trouble getting a hold of NAC turmeric, which has curcumin in it, as well as black seed oil, are those two are very much recommended for pulmonary inflammation by many of the doctors um, we have on the show that are advising this audience here. Today's sponsor, Alliance Defending Freedom. Look, we don't have much of a chance winning in court, but the few times we've had had victories, ADF has been behind it. Uh, whether it's religious liberty, the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, and parental rights. Uh, they've been fighting in America's highest courts for three decades. Go to adflegal.org CR and find out the vitality of their work by downloading their free ebook titled Generational Wins. They really were very instrumental in setting this rare victory we had on the life issue recently. We'll see what happens with that. But the bottom line is they rely on donations from patriots like you. They don't have unlimited funding and they are keeping this pro bono. So, you know, we need your help. Go to adflegal.org slash CR, adflegal.org slash CR. To set the stage as to where we are, I want to read to you an email many I'm getting that are just twisting my stomach in knots. Again, the analogy of someone being trapped in the World Trade Center 
And it's like, what are you going to do? The sad thing is there's about 30 things we could do for these people if you had a compassionate, sane doctor. But our hospitals have become like prisons. Once you're there, you're, there's nothing you can do. But then again, most people have nowhere to turn. My dad, this is from our listener. I'm forgetting what state he was in. My dad was diagnosed with COVID at home, became weak from dehydration, and fell and broke his collarbone at home. Mom took him to a VA ER where they admitted him for IV fluids. The next day, his oxygen levels dropped, and they put him on oxygen. They would only offer the FDA-approved treatments of remdesivir and steroids. And by the way, I would add the wrong steroid at that which have been ineffective in, in his treatment and recovery. We have requested ivermectin, but the doctors will not prescribe it because they say the infectious disease department will not permit it. He is better for a day than worsens after two weeks. He has to be on oxygen to stay stable. We want to get him out of the effective, out for effective treatments with ivermectin, but he is not stable enough to come home. We called UMMC and they were full. No doctor will prescribe ivermectin since he is hospitalized and un- under another doctor's care. He is essentially trapped with the hospital, giving him fluids, antibiotics, and steroids. They give they gave high doses of vitamins through IV after many requests. So even that, they had to request it. What are we supposed to do to get him help? Doctors who prescribe ivermectin will not because of the doctor courtesy and policies are standing in the way of treatment. No one seems to be willing to do anything to help him um, get healed because of the system. He, he says he reached out to one of our doctors. Um, who was very sympathetic, but really, you know, unfortunately, if you were outpatient, my guys would do it for free if they have the time. Um, but inpatient, there's really nothing they can do. Can you help or recommend any help? It is life and death for my 81 year old dad who is fighting to live. He's a godly man with seven children, a former Special Forces Green Beret. He's not just another COVID case to us, he's our dad, our hero. Any help or lead, we will take. And I'm like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hold it together here, you know, reading an email like this. And it, it's like, you know, this is why I can't care about any other issue. And I don't know, I, I know, I know what to do. I'm not even a freaking MD, and I know what to do here. Remember, he's not even on a ventilator yet. Okay, high dose ivermectin for five days. Hydroxy is probably too late. You go in with dutesteride, the androgen blockers. You go in with phenofibrate at a minimum. Um, and you put in his diet, not just fluids, but you crush up, as Dr. Molly James has a, has a routine she would use of nutritious food. So many other supplements. There's tons of ideas, tons of ideas. You stop the remdesivir, which is killing him. You go on methylprednisolone instead of dexamethasone. And dose it properly. And folks, there's one other thing I think I've mentioned before, but it's worth mentioning again. I'm, I'm going to try to do an article on this, but this comes from Dr. Dan Stock in Indiana. And I know Dr. Cole is very into this as well. Calcidophile or 25-hydroxy. That is the chemical name for what is known as active vitamin D. So again, the problem is you can give the guy as much D as you want. The bottom line is the liver is going to go and grab it, and it's going to take a while. And when I say a while, I don't mean a few days. I mean months. 
to get the guys levels over the safe zone that would shut off the cytokine storm, whether it's 40, whether it's 50, um, depending on who you talk to. No, and and certainly when you're dealing with an 81-year-old, there's major absorption issues. So what active D, this 25-hydroxycalcidophile does, is it instantaneously bypasses the liver and it would get them up immediately. So there was a study done in Spain that of hospitalized patients exactly like this, not a single one proceeded to the ICU of, of any of the ones that got this, um, and they all recovered right away. This is the single biggest thing that could end the pandemic tomorrow. You could compound it in pill form. It doesn't even have to be IV. You could deal with every critical ill patient like this, but more importantly, you won't have critically ill patients left because you give it to them right away. It's the way to deal with the nursing homes. Remember, any nursing home patient that didn't get um, prior infection, the vaccine is garbage. It's garbage because it's working the least for them. It's garbage because they got the vaccine the earliest, so it's worn off the most. And it's it's going through the nursing homes again. And and realistically, when you're talking about these people, their vitamin D level is literally, I'm not exaggerating, it's literally zero. If it's not zero, it's three or five or seven. It's single digits. There's, they'll be dead by the time you try to get their vitamin D levels up with the traditional D3. Now, again, I don't want to dissuade you guys from, you should definitely take D3. And the longer you take it and the longer you do it until you get infection, the more time that buys you and you're getting your levels up. But the bottom line is we, we, we've had 18 months warning. But now, the way we stand now, if your levels are really low now, um, the solution is this active D form, the government is preventing, it does not issue a monograph, what's called the UPS monograph, um, for it. So that means that a pharmacist, and that even means a hospital pharmacist, cannot compound it, even though they have the materials. It's very easy to do. Uh, Dr. Dan Stock told me the company even that 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 supplies it, um, they have the ingredients, they could compound it tomorrow. And you could get your levels over 50 instantaneously and shut off this entire problem. Freaking vitamin D is cheap as anything. I forgot what he told me, um, Dr. Stock. The cost of treating 500 people would be like $300, I think, um, with the dose. He, and he had a dosage to, for it, too. We'll try to get Dr. Dan back on the show. But I want, I want you to understand, I don't know what to do for people like that. I know what should be done. But in communist Russia now, I don't know what you can do. This is awful. This is the worst genocide that we've ever lived through. Truly, truly disgusting. Just heartbreaking. Now, folks, for those of you like me, emotionally exhausted, and you're just sick of straining your eyes and neck and being on the computer all day, but you still want to keep up on podcasts, work out, listen to music, Our next sponsor, Raycon, they're the only ones that provide tier one quality everyday earbuds for affordable prices. Um, For some reason, they're the only earbuds that ever fit into my ears, which is why I always hated earbuds. Everyone comments when I'm on Steve Dace's show, I'm always fiddling with the earpiece. It just doesn't fit me well, the one I have for uh, for my TV. But Raycon wireless earbuds, they fit great. 
they feel great, they sound better um, than ever, and folks, they are so, so affordable. Um, there's also an all-new awareness mode for when you need to listen to your surroundings instead. You know, you don't want, like, a punk to come up while you're jogging and, you know, do a knockout on you or something like that. So it's really, really cool stuff. 32-hour battery life. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands. That's really um, where they differentiate themselves. My only issue is my son now stole my pair, so I need to get myself another one, which I will. But right now, our listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash conservative. That's buyraycon.com slash conservative. Save 15% off Raycons, your most affordable, highest quality everyday earbuds at raycon.com slash conservative. So... I didn't ask whether this listener, you know, his father was vaccinated or not, but it, it doesn't matter because we now have the data that by definition, if you're 81, both because of your status and likely when you would have been vaccinated, it's meaningless. So you, we have all of our seniors, okay, all of our seniors, they're dead ducks. Everyone I know now, they're, they're petrified at home and they're vaccinated, they don't even know about the nasal irrigation. And again, folks, I cannot recommend that enough to you. It, it, it is, um, you know, I, I make my rounds and I'll, I'll call up every day a couple of the, of, of the doctors we've had on the show, a couple of them I haven't had on yet. And I'm like, hey, like, you know, what are you seeing? What are you seeing? You know, what, what do we need to know? What's working? What's not? And everyone has a little different shade you know, some there's small, slight disagreements. Some are more into one versus another. But universally, they are all into that. Because again, it's all about viral load at this point. Because that's what the Pfizer vaccine created, a dynamic that allowed the virus to replicate through vaccinated people and spawn a virus that has such viral load that it's devastating everyone now. So... You know, if you're worried, what I would tell you is prophylactically at a minimum, just so you don't forget, every night you go to bed, squirt the heck out of your nose, you know, do deep throat um, mouthwash with scope or act um, as many times as you can, anytime you feel you're around people. Um, and that actually works. It does work. Again, 1% betadine solution, it comes in the store as 10%. So you want to take a you know, measuring cup, put in uh, whatever the rate, whatever amount is. The ratio is nine parts uh, distilled water or saline, one part betadine iodine, and then put it in some sort of either squeeze bottle or you know I use my um empty, I have like a bunch of what what do you call those things like nasacort or you know the allergy the spring allergy stuff. So I have empty bottles I washed out. Um, those are very user friendly things like that. Dump it in there, shake it up. And then have a few of those ready to go and just, um, I would do that regularly. So that way, if you get hit, and it's really more when you get hit, um, you know, you would have already been doing this to a certain extent. And then certainly you up your game and do it, you know, as the FLCC recommends four times a day. So your viral load would have been less. And it, it's funny, I'll tell you, everyone I speak to now has COVID. Everyone. Like, I'll be on the phone with someone plotting strategy. Whatever the guy is, a you know, political guy, a state legislator. And then like in the middle of the conversation, he'll be like, you know, I have COVID. 
And I, I couldn't tell. I mean, we've been talking 30 minutes. It doesn't even sound congested. And and he's like, yeah, I'm on ivermectin. You know, and then I'm like, do you have the budesonide? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been doing that. Are you doing the nasal irrigation? Yeah, um, wow, you have a good doctor. Okay, you got a hold of one of the doctors. And it's like, that is the dividing line. That is the difference between life and death. Those guys are all fine. They're all fine. Again, you know, they'll be fatigued for a couple days and whatever, but no no danger of anything, you know, that they haven't experienced in life that, that they're terrified of going to the hospital and dying from it. It's not a matter of your age anymore, although, again, as, as always, the older you are, the worse you are. Gen- the gender gap I'm seeing is really flattening with this. It's getting women sick, too. It's getting children sicker than they've ever gotten. I'm not saying everyone, you know, but the prevalence of a high viral load is much, much more common than before. And it's not about the vaccine. It's not about your status. It's about whether you have access to a doctor and a pharmacist to get the goods. And that's how the government wants it. Except they're going to squeeze out those those small amounts of people. It's a privilege. And it's not even socioeconomic status. It's a privilege of knowledge. It's, it's a privilege of people who have been enlightened to shows like this. Again, I guarantee you, men in the street... If they're not clued into shows like this, into following, you know, Peter McCullough and Ryan Cole and whatever, they don't even know about aspirin to take aspirin instead of um, Motrin. Now, if you want to break fever, I don't think there's something wrong with it, but you have to take aspirin. It's an easy way to ensure right away that you're not going to get blood clots. But why is this? Advice not being given. And the reason the advice is not being given is the same reason they're not even promoting the monoclonal antibodies. Because they don't want zero COVID. If they wanted zero COVID, you know what they would do? They would do what Uttar Pradesh did, and they have the zero COVID with 240 million people there. They would send everyone all the cheap stuff and tell them to use it. Do you know that now in India, okay, do you know that in India, more than 70% of the cases and deaths are in the southern state known as Kerala? Okay, K-E-R-A-L-A, Kerala. This is the state that banned ivermectin and went all in on remdesivir. So India in general is, is dead. They're done through covid and their national numbers still reflect that. Okay? But Kerala, this one state, and it's not even that big. 34 million people. 34 million people. For an Indian state that's tiny. Uttar Pradesh is 240 million people. Okay? So, what, I mean, you do the math. 34 million people. What is that? Like 3% of India's population or something off the top of my head are responsible for more than 70% of the COVID cases in India. That's what it's all about. 
Are you treating it or not? And that is why, my friends, there is more visceral hatred towards ivermectin than there is anything around. Anything around. I get more visceral hate on social media for promoting early treatment than I do for even opposing masks. Because they know that is the linchpin to getting rid of COVID. And they don't want to get rid of it. Because they want the clot shots, they want the control, and they want the tyranny. Folks, I want you guys to listen to this 45-second clip from an interview done with Fauci about two years ago when he was still somewhat of a scientist and actually cared about science. He was asked by the reporter, and I'm forgetting his name here, his name is David, hey, you know, what's it like to be around someone like you, an infectious disease guy? Um, are you just like terrified and like running away from germs? Here's what he had to say. And the best way for me to prevent getting an infectious disease and having to have you as my doctor is what? Um, wearing a mask. No, um, no, no. I don't need to do that. <laughs> you, um, if somebody's, I can see they're getting ready to sneeze or cough, you, walk away. You avoid all the paranoid aspects and okay. do something positive. A, good diet. B, you don't smoke, I know. I know you don't drink, at least not very much, so that's pretty good. Get some exercise. I know that you don't get as much exercise as yes, you should. That's correct. Get good sleep. I think that the normal, low-tech, healthy things okay. are the best thing that you can do, David, is stay healthy. All right, well, I'm going to try to do that, and hopefully when I next see you, I will be even healthier than I am today. I, I would imagine you would be, and I look forward to that. Thank you very much. My Did you hear that? Exercise, good health, sleep, boost your immune system. Everyone always understood like we said on this program, as early as mid-March, there is nothing you can do to run and hide from a virus. The only thing you can do is boost your immune system to ensure you're going to get it, no matter what, but to ensure that you have a positive outcome from it. And yet that is the most suppressed aspect of that, of this whole thing for good reason. Australia, if you ever want to know what works, look at what Australia is not doing. Australia, as you well know, I mentioned this on Friday. On Friday, they announced they banned um, they banned all ivermectin use for COVID. So doctors are not allowed to prescribe. Pharmacists cannot dispense. So what they're trying to de facto do here, they've officially done in Australia. But what I didn't mention at the time is the statement of their, this their kind of like their FDA, it's called the TGA, Therapeutic Good Administration of Australia. They put out a statement giving three reasons why you shouldn't, why, you know, to justify their ban. And their re reasons are as shocking as they are revealing. Unbelievable. And they basically, the upshot of it is, that the reason why we have to ban ivermectin is because it's so doggone good. So the first reason they give, they say, firstly, there are a number of significant public health risks associated with taking ivermectin. 
Wow, now, and by the way, I'm cutting it off mid-sentence. You're, you'll see what I'm doing here. A lot of us, uh, you know, public health risks associated with taking ivermectin. So you would expect the next sentence to be like, oh, and there's like, man, you get blood clots from it, and you get your periods. You know, women don't, you know, they don't get their periods after taking it. Kind of like what we're seeing with the vaccine. You know, all these side effects. No, that's not what it says. Because you can't say that. Because it's a WHO most safe and essential medication that was given to an entire continent of people for years without any problems, and it won the Nobel Prize in physiology. So, no, you can't say that because it doesn't exist. Because it's safer than Tylenol and antibiotics. Antibiotics gives you the runs. Ivermectin does not. So what do they say? Now, now I'll read the full sentence for you. Firstly, there are a number of significant public health risks associated with taking ivermectin in an attempt to prevent COVID-19 infection rather than getting vaccinated. Individuals who believe that they are not protected from infection by taking ivermectin may choose not to get tested or to seek medical care if they experience symptoms. Doing so has the potential to spread the risk of COVID infection throughout the community. So the risk is, they say it in plain English. Thank you, Australia, for telling us what we already know. They oppose ivermectin and, by extension, everything from betadine nasal irrigation to phenofibrate, hydroxychloroquine to dutesteride to whatever you want to use. Prednisone, azithromycin, whatever you want to use. And they'll, they might use that in the hospital, that stuff, but when it's too late. The prednisone, although they won't use prednisone, they use dexamethasone, which is which causes more side effects. <laughs> Speaking of side effects, they use... See, the funny thing is all the stuff they have is side effects. This is the ultimate blood libel. Everything they accuse what our side of doing, and that's not true, they're actually doing in spades. It's not working. It's causing side effects, right? But anyway, again... Put ivermectin aside. Everyone knows when you have respiratory viruses, what does the doctor do? Um, he gives you a nebulizer, prescribes a nebulizer, and you put in a buterol um, or, or budesonide or whatever. At a minimum, you'd say, look, we might not have a cure for you, but we know this is happening. Everyone should, we're going to mail out a free nebulize it to people, and put the drugs right on your lungs. Basic stuff. Prednisone. We give you prednisone, right? Nope. You're not allowed to. And if a pharmacist know, finds that you're prescribing that for COVID, they'll block that too. But the irony is so supremely rich that they're projecting on ivermectin oh, there's going to be a false sense of hope and you're not going to get tested, you're not going to get vaccinated. That applies to their garbage. The vaccine, I, I cannot tell you, it has now come to Maryland, my community, my neighborhood, my town. Everyone I know hospitalized is vaccinated. The volunteer ambulance EMT service that does the uh, um, uh, monoclonal antibody infusions or shots, they have openly stated that the majority of people coming in are vaccinated. 
It's not 10 or 20 or 30%, which is a lot more than the 3% that they were telling us at the beginning. It's the majority. Okay? They're the ones walking around spreading it. They're the ones that are, have the false sense of hope. They're the ones not getting tested because they have no idea that they could get the virus after having the vaccine. They're the ones doing that. Truly unbelievable. You have the Oxford study of the Vietnamese healthcare workers. 251 times higher the viral load. They're the ones spreading it. And that is why you're seeing it in the US, in Canada, in England, in Gibraltar, in Israel, in Mongolia. All the big Pfizer places. That's where you're seeing it. You're not seeing it elsewhere. And there's a reason for that. It's not Delta. Because Delta would be in Eastern Europe. On this note. Um, where is this? Alex Berenson. In his Substack, you should all subscribe to it. He has a terrific point that buttresses everything I've been saying about the timeline of Europe and England versus America and this and that. You may have read last week that Denmark is opening up and ending all COVID restrictions due to the success of its vaccination program. Okay, that's what they said. But what Alex notes is that why are they being successful in Denmark? And the answer is very simple. You see, they got the, it's all about the vaccination curve. It's all about the vaccination curve. When did you get your vaccine? It works for a few months. And then as it wears off, not only doesn't it work, it creates a living hell of a magnified viral load that first hits the unvaccinated. And then, as we saw like clockwork in Israel, affects um, you know, the vaccinated as well. And, and sadly, starting with the older people that are both more um, immunocompromised and also got the shots earlier. But before I get to Alex's punchline with, with his uh, point here, um, I want to play this clip from the Israeli health minister. Okay, there's a video of them well, I'm not going to play the clip, actually. Um, I'm first going to... I'm going to play another clip. You know what? Let's first... I'm just going to read this in English because there's no point in me playing the Hebrew. Um, it's just Hebrew language. But the an Israeli Minister of Health was at a committee hearing of the Knesset and was caught on a hot mic saying to the Minister of Interior, Ayelet Shaked... The following, there is no medical or epidemiological justification for the COVID passport. It is only intended to pressure the unvaccinated to vaccinate. It is only intended to pressure the unvaccinated to vaccinate. There is no medical or epidemiological justification. Do you understand that? It doesn't freaking work. And that's why Israel is talking about a four shot. Doesn't work. It, work, it works for a few months, but that was the original thing. Now the virus has changed. So now it won't work at all. 
There's a story out of Israel and IsraelNationalNews.com of three sisters. They look like they're Arabs from the Arab part. Um, the names are Arab, but three sisters died. One of them was vaccinated twice. One of them was vaccinated thrice, three times. Okay, doesn't work. Everyone knows that. It doesn't work. Never stops transmission. And the protection from serious illness wears off. That's why they're getting so vicious. Because they're caught. It's like if you have a burglar, a robber, and you, and you come home and he's there. Does he get more humble? No, he'll beat you up. Right? Because you caught him now. That's what they're doing now. But Israel is the canary in the coal mine. That's what Pfizer said. They called them the laboratory. Whatever starts there eventually goes elsewhere. I want you to listen carefully now to a statement. This was played on Israeli Hebrew media, but here is the part. Um, so the reporters were talking in Hebrew, but the... Um, where is this? Arad Nir was the Israeli journalist that exposed this. Philip Dormitzer, he's vice, he's the, the vice president and chief scientific officer of viral vaccines for Pfizer. So this guy is the guy, Philip Dormitzer. Here's what he had to say. And we, uh, early in the, in the pandemic, we'd established a, a relationship with the Israeli Ministry of Health where they used exclusively the Pfizer vaccine and then monitored very closely. So we had sort of a laboratory where we could see the effect. They immunized a very high population proportion of their population very early. So it's been a way that we can almost look ahead. What we see happening in Israel happens again in the U.S. a couple months later. At a Zoom meeting. Take a listen. Do you hear that, folks? They're the laboratory, and whatever starts in Israel comes to the United States a few months later. What did I tell you? I was the first one to tell you that. I took a look at the vaccination curve and I said, wait a minute. Israel's already done studies saying it leaks after five, six months. Israel, we know, was two months ahead of us in the vaccination curve. The UK was one month ahead of us. And at the time, almost everyone in America seemingly being hospitalized, this was two months ago, was um, was vaccinated. Was unvaccinated, I mean. In Israel, it was fully no correlation, meaning it it went with the proportion of the population. So, you know, if that cohort 70% were vaccinated, 70% of the people in the hospital were vaccinated. It 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 literally was the same thing. And and the UK was somewhere in the middle. Okay. And now it works like clockwork. Now that we're about seven, eight weeks since we, we talked about that. America is almost where Israel is. And that's where we are. And in Israel, it appears like there is some degree of ADE going on where it's sliding backwards, where the vaccinated are getting it even worse. Public Health England, they put out, every Friday they put out their vaccine surveillance report. If you look at their report, it's very interesting. It shows the same pattern that there are actually more infections among people that are vaccinated 40 years old and older. 
It's like clockwork. It's unbelievable. 40 years old and older. But then when you go back to 30, 39, 18 to 29 and under 18, it's overwhelmingly more infections, like almost two to one among the unvaccinated. You know why? Because the people under 40 got it the most recently. So there's your few months of efficacy after it killed a BBC reporter. It kills all the people, myocarditis, fertility issues. God knows all the problems people are having. God help us on the long-term effects. You get a few months of efficacy out of it. So whenever anyone talks about it, they throw around numbers, it's BS. Does it work or not? It's, that's, a, that, that's a straw man. It works for a few months, and then it creates ADE, and it leaks, and then it doesn't work. But in the process of not working, it makes the pandemic insane and much worse than before with a higher viral load. Now with that, let's get back to um, Alex's uh, point here. Here's what's really going on. The continental European countries, meaning not England, got started late on their mass vaccination program. They tried to cheap out with Pfizer and Moderna, which weren't having it. Eventually, they gave in. So basically, you have to understand, you have to understand, other countries don't have the Federal Reserve and the dollar reserve currency. So unlike America, they can't just print trillions of dollars. So it's limited what they could do. I mean, this is certainly true of the third world countries that don't have access to the vaccines, which is kind of interesting, um, or not enough of them. But even the other European countries, it's mainly, notice it's like, Iceland, Norway, UK, US, Canada, Israel, Gibraltar, very few countries. But if you look at the main continental European countries, and Denmark included, as late as June 1st, only 22 and 100 people were fully vaccinated. Now they're up to 74 and 100. Basically, what Alex explains is they tried to, you know, go cheap on Pfizer and Moderna, and they're like, screw you, buddy. You need us. We're going to gouge the heck out of you. So they gave in eventually, and they paid the freight. So what his point is, because of their fiscal problems, their take-up was very slow. They're three to four months behind the UK and the US in terms of the vaccine. So yeah, right now, it's doing its job, and they're not having much of a problem. But based on everything we know... Their number is going to come very shortly over the next few months. Okay? So, this is where we are with the Danes. Um, so, hopefully now they'll just open up and they won't go with the vaccines. But I will tell you, when those vaccines become leaky, they're screwed. They're screwed. Because unlike Sweden, now Sweden also has had a mud, very slow take up, and now they've vaccinated a lot more people, but Sweden already has natural infection. That's the difference. Whereas Denmark probably has much less of that. So once it starts leaking, they are all screwed. So you're going to start seeing this everywhere. Nobody is going to escape this. I can guarantee you that. But anyway, I want to go back to Australia. Man, we're ready so far into the show. I haven't gotten to the other three reasons. So now they're on to the second reason. Next, they say, 
So they can't assail the safety of of the drug itself, but they say, here's the deal. Fine. It's safe. But you guys, they say social media postings of people recommending it. When do we ever like say there's people recommending on social media too high of a dose and it's not too high, but in their mind, I'm just saying it's too high. So what, you ban the drug? But anyway, um, they say that they're, so, that they're too high. They're much more than what they were recommended for scabies and, and parasitic diseases. And they're having severe nausea, vomiting, dizziness, neurological effects such as dizziness, seizures, and coma. Okay. Mind you, they can't point to a single human being in a hospital for it, which is why Rolling Stones had to literally fabricate an article about people being hospitalized for ivermectin because it's not happening. Um, it could be a handful of people got very minorly sick from the horse paste. But again, that's that's because they're banning the human thing. So it's a straw man. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't recommend taking horse uh, animal uh, bovine um, aspirin either and antibiotics either. But like, that's a straw man. But here's the deal, folks. They're lying to you. They're lying. The recommended dosage for... Um, ivermectin is prophylactically 0.2 milligrams per kilogram of weight. And um, if you have it between 0.4 and 0.6, as, as a starting point for five days, you know, you take that one time um, for five days. So, you know, depending on your weight, it's going to wind up being 20, 30, 40 milligrams. Um, and, and there you go. Okay. So the reality is there was a 2002 randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial of ivermectin used for head lice in Miami, and they found zero evidence of toxicity for people taking up to 120 milligrams of ivermectin, exponentially higher than anyone is dosing for COVID. They noted all clinical adverse experiences were transient and mild and no adverse experience recurred with repeated dosing. There was zero evidence of toxicity, they said. And the few side effects people had were, again, like whatever side effects you would get from azithromycin, from you know, a lot of things you'll take from zinc, even, you know, you take a lot of it, maybe a little bit of nausea, a lot. Also, also, I will, I will point out one also very important thing. The dosage is, is recommended lower for parasites, but also for parasites, it's recommended because of your GI tract that you take it on an empty stomach. Here, you have to take it not for safety concerns, but just for um, effectiveness for absorption with a fatty meal. Okay, so a lot of people forget that, and that's a very important detail when you're taking ivermectin. Um, so, you know, the nausea, that, that any medication that you take on, there's actually very few, that if you take on an empty stomach, it won't give you a little, get you a little queasy. Um, the safest things in the world that we take all the time. So they're specifically recommending that you take it with a meal. But folks, remember that according to Pfizer's own trial with 12 to 15-year-olds, Within the first few days after the second shot, 66% of them developed fatigue, 65% developed headaches, 42% developed chills, and I think like 25% developed fever. 25, these are, 
millions of people. And again, these are not the, even the big problems I'm talking about. But if you're going to get into transient, mild things, ivermectin has a much better track record than the vaccines and, and, and any, anything we ever have. So people took insane high doses. I don't have it in front of me, but there's four or five other studies. People taking insane doses every day, like for, for months, for cancer. Yes, believe it or not. You know, it's not just like a bunch of yahoos like, oh my gosh, ivermectin is so great for COVID. Let's try it for cancer. No, this is years ago. That's what I'm telling you. There's studies and there were trials done for ivermectin for a bunch of things because it has such great broad mechanisms of action. So believe it or not, it has been tried on cancer and there's some promising data actually on that. But the point is they were given a high doses, no problems whatsoever. No problems. Um, in fact, in fact, I'm looking here at an email I got. I have some of the information. I'm, I'm going to try to do a column on this. There was a case of a guy who tried to commit suicide with ivermectin. It's funny. There's nothing new under the sun, like kind of like what people do with Tylenol. Okay. Now, we all know you take a significant amount of Tylenol in that bottle, you're dead meat. And this happens every year, yet it's over the counter, okay? This guy, he was a 77-year-old male, took 220 times the FLCCC's recommendation of dosing, which is more than 50 horse paste tubes. Okay, that's the one person who's ever committed suicide from it. Interestingly, a person, a male 56 with 100 times the FLCC dose, had absolutely no symptoms at all. And they're saying the FLCC dose is going to cause problems. Yet they prescribe remdesivir like water in the hospitals that doesn't work, and it's causing renal failure. And the, and the vaccines, again, if you want to talk about nausea and fatigue, if that's what you want to start talking about, dude, that's like a majority of people that get the shots. We're not talking about 0.1% here. Then finally, they have their third reason. And their third reason is that it's being used too much. Listen to this. Finally, there has been a three to four fold increase dispensing of ivermectin prescriptions in recent months, leading to national and local shortages for those who need the medicine for scabies and parasitic infections. Listen to that, folks. Couple things to unpack here. So number one, they're admitting it's skyrocketing. So that alone, let's unpack that. If you have a crappy medicine that doesn't work and it makes people feel awful, do you think all the neighbors, the first line of people who used it, and all the people, their neighbors, friends, relatives, man, that guy took something that doesn't work and got him sick. I'm just going to go and binge it, and I'm going to go and get as many prescriptions as I can. The market is pretty doggone efficient with user feedback. I'll tell you that much, when we all know that. But that is the problem. It does work, and people are onto it, and it doesn't cause side effects. And they can't have any of that. 
But let's unpack this more. We were told this is a poison horse medicine, a horse dewormer. So they went from horse dewormer to know this is such an indispensable human drug that we are so concerned there's not going to be enough to treat humans that have legitimate parasitic infections. Oh. So that's a different argument now. But obviously it's a stupid, profoundly stupid argument because, wait a minute. So I'm not going to use it for the worst pandemic in the history of the world that literally the Australians admit forces them to shut down their entire economy and country and, and border forever. Okay. We're scared of the parasitic infection suddenly. Interesting. Interesting. We can't use ivermectin to cure the thing that we ourselves are pulling our hair, hair out over, saying there's no cure for because of the parasitic infections. And then obviously the final point to be made is, dude, this thing is cheap off patent and Uttar Pradesh. Uh, you know, rural India, I mean, they have a lot of urban areas in Uttar Pradesh, but they have rural areas as well, had no problem getting enough of this. For pennies on the dollar, they spent destroying their economy. Pennies on the dollar, they spent on remdesivir and the vaccines. They could compound the heck out of this. It's off patent. It, it's, it, you know, they could have a, give everyone a lifetime supply of this. For, for, COVID and for parasitic infections. But as we all know, here's the truth. If ivermectin is guilty of one thing, it's that it actually works. And that is why it must be stopped. And now we have that confirmed from the Australians. Got a lot more to unpack, but we're out of time. Again, send this show to everyone you know, 50 of your friends, relatives, neighbors, Everyone needs to hear this information. It could save a life. We have a lot more coming this week. Till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.